Today is a new day. It's the first day of 2017. And many have celebrated in different ways. And some of us, we, we thank Jesus for seeing us through to yet another year. And for some of us, we have great expectations as our eyes are peeled to see what Jesus will do in this new year. And some will make resolutions, but I'm here today just to ask that you ask Jesus for courage to hear what he has to say and that he gives you a heart that will obey what he tells you in this new year, his year of grace and his favor. Go with me to Psalm 85. And I'll begin at verse 8. I will listen to what God, the Lord, says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. That his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. God desires that we be connected to him, but if we're not listening to him, we're not in harmony with Jesus. Listen means not just to hear, but listening also means to heed and to obey. When we cause our hearts and we make that decision where we say, whatever the Lord tells me, I'm content to listen. And I'll be content to do. That's what I want for us for this new year. Now we would be bold enough, and even if we're fearful, that we would go to Jesus and say, Lord, would you give me courage? Would you make me bold? Would you make me a man? Would you make me a woman? That I can sit in your presence. And I can hear what you have to say, man to man and man to woman, and not be afraid, but that my heart would be content in knowing that whatever you say to my heart, that it is true. And I will agree and be content to do what you ask me to do. For Jesus knows that for some of us, we may go, go, be going through a storm. For others, our health may be ailing. And for some, we've been pleading for salvation for dear ones. Or we've been pleading for our very own hearts. There are things in our hearts that prick us, that bring shame. And we say, Lord, redeem me. But be content to do what Jesus says. 
as he brings his salvation. Verse 9 says, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. Ask God for that holy dread. That as you hear his voice, that you will respond quickly. And his promise is that he brings promise to his people. You might not think that you are a faithful servant. But I know when a heart has holy dread for the God of heaven and confesses and pleads for God to open the way, God will make you his faithful servant. And he will come and bring whatever our hearts need. We might have aches or an illness. And we might think, well, Lord, I want this to go away. But Jesus may say, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter, there is something much more precious that I want to give you. Be content to receive and to hear what the Lord will say through his spirit for this year. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. And I pray that you have a blessed 2017 in victory, in overcoming sin, in peace, and in the love of Jesus. The message today is entitled, Rise Up and Walk. Rise Up and Walk. Lord, I pray today that as this word goes forth to your people, that you will give us soberness of mind and rouse us up from every trick of the devil to shut us up, to put us down, to numb us out. Lord, wake us up. I pray in your name. Amen. God does not miraculously come and suddenly his presence floods the house and revivals here. It's not how revival comes. What does the word revival mean? To come to consciousness, to be revived. If I fall out on the floor, you're going to immediately do some things to try to revive me. You're going to try to wake me up. You want me to wake up and get up. Or you're going to call 911. Revival is when God's people wake up. They're roused because they begin to see who God is. They begin to see what righteousness is. They begin to see what their sin is. And they begin to put down the weapons of the devil and take up the cross of Jesus. That's revival. Revival can come to any church, any time. If God's people will begin to examine their lives in the light of Scripture and put off all of the deceptions that the devil has laid on them, everything is geared in our culture to keep you asleep, to cause you to be unconscious, television to sear your mind, Movies to entertain you. Professional sports to keep you wasting your time and not searching the scriptures so that there can be no conviction in your heart. A love for money. A love for for ease. 
and comfort. Never in the history of the world has there been a people with so much luxury. The poorest among us are incredibly wealthy. Go to India. Walk the streets. I haven't done it, but I want to. I've talked with people who've been there, who've, who've seen little boys and girls, men and women, crawling out of little cardboard shacks or cardboard boxes or just sleeping on the street with nothing. Destitute. Going out and begging for a little bit of food so they don't starve to death. They don't have a fat problem. They have a hunger problem. But here, whatever you want, it's there. Just go get it. It's a result. May I be very clear. America's prosperity is a result of the Judeo-Christian ethic that has brought to us incredible blessings. And now as we as a nation have turned increasingly to wickedness, our economy is going to crash. And our luxury is going to be gone. I listened to one economist yesterday who was saying he expects to see up to a 90% drop in the value of real estate. Can you imagine if just a fraction of what he's projecting is true? The homes that will be underwater, the men and women who will not be able to afford the mortgage payment. I don't know what's going to happen in 2017 but I believe God is going to come and wake America up with poverty, even yea, famine, riots, and destruction. And it needs to be a time of waking up for us who have lived in the luxurious lap of America. There are three kinds of people described in Scripture. There are those who come with jaded, hard-edged, critical thinking, to observe and to scorn. There are those who come, secondly, to watch, to be inspired, to be entertained. And then there is that small minority who comes knowing they are sick and they don't have the power of God. And they're hungering and agonizing, desiring the presence of Jesus in their lives. This is the person Jesus will come to. This is the person we must become as a church and and rouse ourselves. God is not going to come and rouse you. He's not going to come and wake you up. I mean, what happens in the morning when the sunlight begins to stream into your room? If you went to bed at 4 a.m., the sunlight will have no effect. You will be sound asleep. Well, what will wake you? You will wake you. When you decide to awaken, you will awaken and you will begin your day. Because you're responsible for your day. It's you who must make decisions about what you will do with Jesus. No one will make that decision for you. And if you are still employing the weapons of war against the kingdom of God, by being indifferent That is the chief weapon of the devil against the kingdom of God. Indifference, sleepiness, boredom, entertainment, the love of other things. These are weapons that must be put down. 
If we're going to walk in Jesus Christ, if we're going to wake up and be roused and begin to follow him, focus on the family and their research I've shared many times with you as they have done careful research on those who call themselves evangelical Christians and those who call themselves pagans. And they have found no measurable difference between the lifestyle of the pagan and the Christian. They spend their money the same way. They go to the same places on vacation. When National Harbor opened their new huge casino, I wonder how many of those people would say they were Christians who showed up there to gamble the first night. 35,000 people. Well, we know that many of them called themselves Christians. You'd have a hard time filling 35,000 people with people who call themselves atheists, people who are not followers of the gospel of Jesus. I have a story I want to share with you. It's found in Luke, Luke, the fifth chapter. It was one of those days, like many days, where Jesus was teaching. He was just come to Capernaum. And as he went into Capernaum, he had his disciples with him. They had just fallen down at his knees when he filled their nets with fish. They thought it was all about fishing and making money. So Jesus said, you think it's about catching fish? Let's fill your nets with fish so full that your boat is about to sink. And then let's see if this is about money. And then he said to them, as Peter came and said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He began to see himself. Finally, Peter begins to see Peter. He says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. The last thing he wanted was for Jesus to depart from him. Peter and the others, they left their boats. They left their businesses, please. They were in the fishing business. They left their boats and they began to follow Jesus. Verse 17 of Luke, the fifth chapter. By the way, this story is found in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was one of those days. Nothing special except it was God teaching. How special is that? What was unusual was that Pharisees and teachers of the law had come. They'd come from Judea and they'd come from Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin was very concerned about this new prophet that was preaching without their permission, without their good housekeeping seal of approval. They wanted to hear what he was saying. So we find that they were sitting down. Now, in that day, people didn't sit down for the sermon. They stood up. And those who were considered important sat down. So Jesus was sitting down in this house teaching. And these scribes and Pharisees and representatives of the Sanhedrin, these legal minds, these wealthy men, they were sitting while the common people were standing all around them. The house was jammed full of people standing who wanted to hear the word of God. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. One of my brothers said to me very aptly, the power of God was always with Jesus to heal. And if you'll look 
through the scriptures, you'll find that's true. I did the research. Power was always flowing out of Jesus to heal every person who would come to him. And that power was flowing that day, as it always was flowing. And as Jesus was teaching, there was a commotion. Tiles began to be lifted off. I suspect that dirt began to fall down on people. Straw, sand, small pebbles began to drop on the people. Everybody was looking up. Jesus stopped teaching. How do you compete with the roof being ripped off? They're all looking up expectantly. The hole gets bigger and bigger. Finally, it's big enough for a a small bed to be lowered by ropes right in front of Jesus. They tried to get in the door, but no one was willing to let them pass. They all wanted to hang on to their place where they could hear Jesus teach. This man was lowered down in front of them. And he lay before them, a man palsied, a man paralyzed. Or the Greek word can also mean a man shaking violently, unable to control his movements. They lay him before Jesus. And now we have the three kinds of people. We have the hard-hearted. What's this all about? The cynical the unbelieving. And then we have the common people who've come to learn what they can learn, not to have their lives changed. They didn't leave that morning to come and listen to Jesus teach, thinking, today is my day, and I'm going to be transformed today. Something's going to happen to me today. They just came to see what was happening. They were interested. I love interested people. You're here because you're interested. But I love when that interest changed to fire to say, Lord, it's me. Something has to change in my heart. I am hard-hearted. I am so invested in all all the things happening around me. I don't have time for you, Jesus. Suddenly those people change and transform. They begin to say, I have to hear from Jesus. No matter what, I have to hear from Jesus. This man lays there before Jesus. And I'm sure that his eyes were fixed on the face of Jesus. What's Jesus going to do? Is he going to tell them, get this man out of here. I'm preaching This is something important. Don't don't stop me. I have to teach the people. Are you kidding me? That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is for the man who's on on the gurney, dying. He loves all people. But he only does something for the man on the gurney. When you begin to recognize your condition before God... And you begin to say, we've got to begin to be concerned about our soul before the Almighty God, else we're going to go to hell. That's when God comes to a person. When the casualness is put away, 
and the focus of attention becomes sharp on Jesus. Jesus looks at this man. He sees the faith, the expectation of the men who brought the man to Jesus. He reads the heart of this man. Please hear me. Jesus has read your heart. There is nothing in your heart that is hidden from him. He knows you. He knows when you move away from him. He knows when you use the weapons of war that are in your hand against the kingdom of God. He knows what's happening in your heart. And he says to this man, man or mister, your sins have been forgiven for you. Your sins have been forgiven for you. Now to forgive can be looked at in two ways. One, the sin can be remitted. That is, if I owe Brother Ed $1,000 and I can't pay him back, and Ed can say to me, I forgive you. What has transpired is a financial arrangement. He has written off the $1,000. But nothing has changed for me. All that has changed is that I don't owe the thousand dollars anymore, but I'm the same person, so I can find somebody else to borrow a thousand dollars from and cheat them as well, and then find another person and cheat them as well. I'm the same person. Brother Ed, in his kindness, Change something in himself and remitted my sin. So I'm left the same. The word ephemy in the Greek for forgive can mean to remit, but it is a very minor meaning in the Greek. In the Greek, in this case, the word is preceded by apo, apo in the Greek. Now, apo in the Greek means off. That which is away from, separation from, departure, changed situation. Now, when you take this word apo, and you put it in front of ephemy in the Greek, you have forgive with a strong sense of to send away. To send away. To depart. It's a verb. 
It means to be cast away from, to be thrown away from. Well, suddenly, Jesus is speaking to this man, and he knows that his heart's cry is not to be physically healed. He knows his heart cry is to have his sin removed from him. To be taken away from him. To be changed. So nothing in Jesus changed. Something in the man, the palsied man was changed. The sin was removed from his heart. Removed from his life. He will no longer go back to that sin because it's been taken away from him. It's been cast away from him. He's been transformed. He's been changed into a new person. But for Jesus to forgive your sin in this way means you have to recognize your sin and be crushed by it and be put on the bed so that you know what your true condition is before God. And some of you this afternoon know that in your heart you have been going back to the same old, same old time after time because you love it and you don't want Jesus to throw it away from you because you would miss your most precious gift that which satisfies your heart, that which numbs your soul so you don't feel the pain. A lifestyle, a relationship. You don't want that illicit relationship cast away from you because you only survive by that joy out of that wickedness. You know that if Jesus comes, he's going to take it away. He's going to cast it away from you. And you are going to be changed into a new person by grace. Someone said to me yesterday, Pastor, in the year 2017, I am going to buy you And this person identified the beautiful car that they were going to buy for me. And I have to tell you, no joy leapt up in my heart. Because I am completely satisfied with my old Toyota that Jesus has given me to drive. 1997. It's okay. If the Lord sees fit to give me a different chariot to drive... I'll drive a different chariot. But my heart is not fixed on what I'm going to drive. My heart is fixed on Jesus. It doesn't matter what I drive. It doesn't matter where I live. It matters where I'm going to live for eternity. Jesus said, if I go, I'll prepare a place for you. There are many dwellings in my father's house. I want to be there. I want to live with Jesus. I don't care about the place he's going to prepare for me. I care that he's going to be there. And I want to be with him. 
And the side note, I really don't want to go to hell. Do you? No. I want to be where I'm loved, where I'm cherished, where I can love and cherish. The most joy I have in my heart comes from honest, pure, clean, loving friendship with God's people. That's the joy of my heart. That's what helps me wake up every morning. Knowing the joy of the kingdom of God. I don't want the kingdom of darkness. I don't want to lay on the palsied bed and have to have somebody carry me around. I want to do the carrying. I went into... At the Lord's direction, I'll tell you this, the humorous thing that happened. The Lord said, and he doesn't do this usually, he said, go to Starbucks. So I drove to Starbucks, quite a mile to drive. I went in, and somebody greeted me at the front, and they said, if you order a tall drink, they're all free between 2 and 3 o'clock today. It was 2 o'clock. I said, that's interesting. So I went and ordered my drink. I took my Bible and I sat and I began to read my scriptures and enjoy the drink. I thought the Lord was just blessing me with a free drink. When suddenly a woman walked up to me and she said, you're a pastor. Almost accusing me. I said, yes. Are you a Christian, I ask? She said, yes. But not a real one. But I'm searching for Jesus. And I'm concerned about my daughter, and I'm concerned about my husband. They're over next door at Apple. I said, sit down, let's talk. So we began to talk about Jesus. And I began to ask her questions about her walk. Basically did an evaluation of her spiritual journey. And the hunger she has for Jesus. She said, I want to go to a church that's only concerned about Jesus. I said, I know a church like that. Come to the National Prayer Chapel. Come and visit us. Well, she said, we don't go to church. Would you mind if I go and get my husband and bring him over here? I said, no, I'll wait for you. So she went out. She went over to the Apple store. She brought her husband and her daughter. And I spent the next 15 minutes talking to them about Jesus. He said, I hate religion. I said, good, I do too. That kind of religion is not of Jesus. I want the religion that is of Jesus. And I began to describe that religion. He said, I think we'll visit. I said, well, come tomorrow. 
They said, no, we'll be up too late tonight. I'm praying for them. Here's a palsied couple who needs to come to Jesus. And if they'll come to Jesus, their whole life will be transformed. She already loves Jesus. He's, on the other hand, turned off. Angry. Doesn't want anything to do with it. But I have his testimony that he said he would come. So I'm, by faith, in Jesus, claiming that man for the kingdom of God. This man, palsied, has just had his sin removed and cast away from him. He has been converted. He has been born from above. He has been transformed into the likeness of the one who's speaking to him. He is clean. He is washed. His sin is gone. The scribes and the Pharisees, they began to reason in their mind. They're in trouble. They begin to reason in their mind. How can God or how can this man pretend he's God and cast this man's sins away? We know the only way a man's sins are removed is for the man to come to the priest and have an offering offered, a sin offering made. We know how a man has to come. Is this man a priest? The answer, not only is he the priest, he's the sacrifice too. He's Jesus. But they're reasoning. They don't understand. And and now they're blocked. Who is this man who's speaking blasphemies? They've already made their judgment. They are unreasoning. They didn't think very far. Now they're saying, this is blasphemy. Who is able to remove sins except God only? Now, please understand, they used the same word. They understood what Jesus had said. They understood that Jesus had said, I'm God, and I can remove your sins and change you and transform you. That's my job. And he just did it. And they're saying, how is this possible? Can't happen. We only are able to cover over the sin and declare him righteous. We're not able to make a man righteous. And Jesus is saying, I made the man righteous. They'd never heard of such a thing. This was startling to them. The whole notion that you can be made righteous and leave your sin and never have to come back for another sacrifice. This would destroy their whole business. This would destroy the temple in Jerusalem. They're angry. Jesus, now proving that he is God, fully understood their thoughts in verse 22. And having answered, he said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? I want you to get this. They are not reasoning in their minds. I thought we were supposed to reason with our heads. They're reasoning with their emotions because their whole survival is being threatened by this man. Their position 
as scribes and Pharisees is being threatened by this man. There is, there is no person who has ever appeared on the earth who is more threatening than Jesus Christ. He is an offense to every man who walks in sin. He is a judgment against sin. He is the only man who can remove by grace all of the sin from our lives. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? If you'll be honest with me today, you will have to admit that if you are holding on to any sin in your life, it is not with your head. It's with your emotions. Because you don't want to pay the price to let Jesus remove that sin from your life. You love your sin. Or you would let Jesus remove it. Now please, let's be clear. There is no excuse for sin. If you could give me a legitimate, reasoned excuse for sin, it would cease to be sin. Logically speaking, if there is justification for sin, there is no sin. Sin is rebellion against the Most High God. He is a God of pure love. He never did anything to anyone that would justify rebellion against him. So if we are in rebellion against the Almighty God, it's because of the perverseness of our own emotions and our own heart. And the refusal to focus and get centered, to wake up, to be roused. He says to them in verse 23, which is easier to say your sins have been removed or to say, wake up, walk around, get up off your bed. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to remove sins. Let's stop there a minute. I listened to a lot of so-called Christian broadcasting on the radio this last week. I had the week off prayer and scripture, and I listened to a number of preachers that I'm praying for to hear if there was any change in their message. There was not. They were still preaching that your sins cannot be removed. They can only be remitted that you cannot be free of your sin, that you're bound by them, that Jesus' blood does not have the power to break the bondage of your sin, that you're always going to walk in that sin. Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins have been removed for you, or to say, rise up and walk around, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to remove sins he said to the one having been paralyzed, I say to you, rise up. And after having picked up your pallet, you may go to your house. You're healed. It's done. Everywhere Jesus went, he healed the sick. Why? To give evidence that he had the power to remove sin. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. What is the work of the devil? To rebel against the Most High God. Now you have to decide 
whether you're going to be the scribe and the Pharisee and reason in your heart about why you can't leave your sin, why you're justified in continuing your wicked behavior, or you have to decide, that was an interesting sermon, Pastor, and go out and live the same way as the common people did. Or you have to get up off your bed. Literally, the word rise up in the Greek means to awaken, to be roused from sleep. When I was a kid, the last thing I wanted to do on a cold morning before dad had the furnace going was to get out of bed. But sometimes he would, when mom was out of town, he would forget to go down because the cold didn't bother him. And so he would come in and say, come on, boys, it's late. You got to get up. I know it's cold, but I'll go light the fire. Come on, get up. And I'd snuggle down deeper under the covers, waiting for the rattling of the grate downstairs in the furnace where dad was starting the fire. But when I heard his footsteps coming, I knew I was in trouble because it meant he had a glass of cold water. And if I wasn't out of bed when he entered the bedroom, the glass of cold water would go over my face. I would quickly be roused and be moving to meet the school bus that came at 7 a.m. What's it take to rouse you? What's it take to cause you to begin to be concerned about your soul and Jesus and to put down the weapons of war against the kingdom of God and to become consciously aware of my situation before a holy God who only has in his heart to remove the wickedness from me, to remove the brokenness and the pain and the anguish from me. How can I fault Jesus for wanting to heal me? Why do I want to stay in my palsied state and be a victim and say, I've tried. Oh, I've tried. I just can't leave my sin. Get over it. You don't remove your sin. Jesus comes and removes your sin. It's by grace. He comes by the divine power of the Holy Spirit and he grabs a hold of us. And he says, be healed in the name of Jesus. And immediately, having stood before them, you notice it does not say, for the next 30 days, he struggled to build up enough strength to climb out of bed. It says, immediately, God takes your sins. They're gone. Immediately. It's done. Get up. Be responsible for your mess. Pick it up. And go on home and put it away. Some of you have messes that need to be cleaned up. But you can't clean it up until you stop laying in it. Hmm? You can't clean up your mess until you stop laying in it. Until you resolve in your heart that you will serve Jesus and Jesus alone. It breaks my heart to see men and women trying to clean up their mess while they're still laying in the midst of it. And they're saying, if I, if I clean this mess up, my family won't like it. 
If I cut off the television, my family's not going to like it. I never heard they were supposed to like it. I heard they were supposed to be made holy. Oh, but I have to go sit with my family and watch the television. Really? You're reasoning with your emotions, not with your mind. It says immediately he got up. And after having picked up the pallet, he went home, glorifying God. The mess he used to be lying in, he's no longer lying in. He's walking home with the mess cleaned up. And amazement took hold of everyone, and there was, and they were glorifying God and were filled with awe, saying, We saw remarkable things today. Unfortunately, the remarkable things didn't happen in their lives. How many times I've listened to people leave a worship service and say, Wow, that was a great service, Pastor. Great. Did you leave your sin? Did you leave your sin? It wasn't a great service if you didn't leave your sin. And you know what your sin is. If there be such, you know what it is. And only Jesus has the power to grab it and throw it out of your life. And he wants to do that for you. But all these strings connect us. What happens if all these strings get broken? Who's going to love me? Who's going to accept me? Oh, so you want your buddies who are all laying in their pallets to lay beside you as you all die. No. You want them all healed. You want them to clean their mess up and put their bed away. Enough sleep. Let's wake up. Some of you have some very real things you need to do to get right with Jesus. You've been moaning and groaning. You've been complaining. Your iPhone has your attention. Not Jesus. The internet has your attention, not Jesus. Your job has your attention, not Jesus. Do you understand There's going to be a presidential inauguration. It means nothing in light of who Jesus Christ is. He is the inaugurated King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He already resides in power and authority over the earth. He's called forth, he's predestined a church to be his bride. The only reason the world still exists as it does is that God is making up the number that will comprise his bride. When that number is finished, it's over. Are you a part of that number? Will you give up your life to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and bring glory and honor to his name? Or are you going to go out in this wicked world and try to build your little kingdom and lay on your little palsied bed? I don't want to do that. I want to go out into this world with the banner of Jesus Christ 
and love the lost and love the sinner and call them, whether it's in the government, whether it's in the Starbucks, whether it's wherever. Call men and women to come and follow Jesus with you and let the Holy Spirit be pouring out of you like it was pouring out of Jesus so that when people look at your love and your compassion, when they see the demonstration of your love and compassion in what they consider the real world, their hearts will be drawn to the Lord. It's only love that brings a man or a woman to repentance. Jesus wants to pour that love through you and through me, but if we're not clean vessels, he can't do it. If you get jostled and the viper comes out of you, there's not enough love. You're still walking in your sin. They were glorifying God. They were filled with awe, saying, we saw remarkable things today. I wish they had said, a remarkable thing happened to me today. You can be sure that this palsied man, as he went out, did not say, I've seen amazing things today. No, I am an amazing thing in Jesus. He healed me. I'm done with that palsied life. I've been changed and transformed into his likeness. But it's only one man out of the crowd who's willing to take that position. Scribes and the Pharisees, they're going to go back and report on this Jesus who's absolutely a blaspheming, crazy man, thinks he's God. Did he heal anybody? Well, yeah, he did. He's still crazy. Then you're going to find the common people who were going to gossip at dinner that night and say, honey, you should have seen what Jesus did today. But the palsied man is going to go home and sit with his family. He's going to say, sweetheart, I'm healed. I'm restored. This Jesus is Savior. He's King. He's Lord. I worship Him. How will you leave church today? Mighty God, as we come to your table, quicken us by your Spirit. Let us see honestly the condition of our hearts. Let us not pretend when we still hold on to the weapons of war against you. Lord, may we go home healed today with our sins cast away. In the name of Jesus, amen.